right, well, good evening. Great to see everyone. Not sure who was here this morning, but I can guarantee you, if you've ever told me, I was going to preach Obadiah in the morning, in Leviticus 20 in the evening. Man, I would have laughed at you, but to be honest, I would have been excited too, because it just would have meant that God would, like I showed up on the board this morning, he's just got us all over the place, and I mean that in the best of ways. He has us digging into his word. He has us looking in places that we just tend to not look. And I thank him for that. I thank his spirit for that, who interprets it for us. And I thank him for the message that he laid on my heart tonight. Uh, if I sound tired, I am, but that's all right, because the Holy Spirit is going to get us through. So, if we could all stand, I'm going to jump right into reading. I know I don't usually do that. But I'm going to read all of Leviticus 20, uh, and then I'm just going to not ask you questions to answer like this morning, but I am going to ask you something. Right, so here we go. Leviticus chapter 20, standing in honor of reading God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and does not put them to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that, they may be, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and he shall be cut off in the sight of the ch their children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, 
He has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast, or by bird, or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. You may be seated. All right, so the question I want to ask is, does that sound at all familiar? Okay, now if you're saying yes, that, that's great. And if you know why, that's great. But I think a lot of times it sounds familiar because like all of Leviticus sounds familiar. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. Um, there's really only one person in the room that I think might know what I mean when I say, does this sound familiar? Might that be Elder Len Lucci? Yeah. That sounds so much like what Lenny preached about a month ago from chapter 18. And the reason I know that is because when Lenny was preaching chapter 18, I was thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds so much like chapter 20. So is this just God repeating himself? Or is there a reason he did it? Well, there's a reason he did it. You should all know the reason. The reason is because chapter 18 is casuistic and chapter 20 is apodictic. Thank you, Mr. Wessel. Thank you. What that means is, chapter 18 states what you should and should not do. Well, mostly should not, but it just states it. Don't do it. Kind of like the Ten Commandments, what you should and shouldn't do. Exodus 20 is a casuistic chapter. This chapter, it says, but remember, don't do it. This chapter, like the chapters that followed the Ten Commandments, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Do you see the difference? Now, in Exodus, 20 and 21 didn't mirror each other. This is very, I don't want to say unique, but to don't do these things, period. If you do these things, here's what's going to happen. If I can twist that a little bit. Don't do these things, period. Don't do these things or else. We've all heard that phrase before, yes? We all know what or else means, Yes? We all know there's a world of difference between take out the garbage and take out the garbage or else. Pay that bill or pay that bill or else. Those two words are almost never or should almost never be needed. If you're told to take out the garbage, take out the garbage. If you're told to pay the bill, pay the bill. If you're told don't do these things, don't do these things. But oh my goodness. It always takes that or else to get our butt moving, agreed? To get us in gear, agreed? That's the title of my sermon. Dot, 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 or else. How sad. How sad that God spends an entire chapter telling his children, not the Edomites, those of you who were here this morning, his children 
don't do these things. And two chapters later, he has to pretty much threaten, which with God, it's not a threat. It's a promise, right? But he has to say, you do these things, here's what's going to happen. To me, that's or else. And I guess I went a little out of order of the slides. I apologize, whoever's back there. What I meant to do is first put up all the things that chapter 18 and chapter 20 had in common. That would be the next slide. Child sacrifice, sorcery, cursing parents, adultery, incest, and improper relationships. I'm using some broad umbrellas there to encompass things. But for the most part, those can be found in chapter 18 and in chapter 20. But in chapter 18, it's don't do these things. And in chapter 20, it's if you do, don't do these things or else. So here's my problem. Am I going to really spend the next 40 minutes threatening you guys? Don't sacrifice your children to, to pagan gods or else. Don't commit incest or else. Like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to downplay those things. That's not the world we live in anymore. I don't need Leviticus 20 threatening me to not do these things. I don't even need Leviticus 18 telling me not to do these things. I hope none of us do. Because as much as I'm joking about some of them, adultery is no joke. Cursing your parents is no joke. I don't mean to downplay those things at all. But Lenny preached on those things. Lenny preached on, don't do these things. God has given me the honor and the responsibility to say, don't do these things or else. So instead of focusing on these things, I'm going to give you all the benefit of the doubt because Lenny did an awesome job preaching it. And I'm sure all of you, if you needed to be convicted on those things, you were. My focus tonight is going to be chapter 20, verse 22. It's pretty much going to be my entire focus of this chapter. Chapter 20, verse 22 says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. That's a game changer. That doesn't say you therefore shall not sacrifice your children. You therefore shall not commit adultery. You therefore shall not have Im improper sexual relationship. No. All my statutes. All my rules. This has an inherent or else as well. This is pretty much saying, do everything I tell you to do, or else the land might vomit you out. Now, back then, what did that mean? God ushered his people into, or was ushering his people into the promised land. And he's saying, listen, you're going to love it, but you don't follow my commands. I'm not just going to have you quietly leave. The land's going to vomit you out. And that's pretty much what happened when, when enemies would come in and, and pretty much take, back, take Israel captive. I mean, it was almost like the land was vomiting them out. Obviously, I'm going to put a little twist on that and just say that it refers to the blessings that God wants us to have. And why in the world should we think that we will continue in those blessings if we do not follow the commands that he has told us? I think that's common sense. Keep my statutes, keep my rules, or else risk losing the blessings that I want for you. I don't think anyone here would argue this. I'm not talking to Edomites tonight. I hope not. I hope I'm talking to children of God who, first of all, know they don't deserve the things God gave them in the first place. Never mind think that we can hold on to them when we're not obeying all his commands. So I'm going to take that little list that used to be up there, and I'm just going to kind of look at them a little differently in ways that I know spoke to my heart, in ways that I know God wants me in my position, but you as well, to do, or else. And realize that or else is not coming from a threatening God, unless you're an Edomite. People are going to listen to this like online, and why does this guy keep referencing Edomites? Well, he should have been here this morning. 
I'm hoping they're not Edomites. It's our loving Father who's saying do these things or else. It's our best interest that he's saying these things. He is not out to get us. He is not going to destroy us from the face of the earth. But he's going to do what he has to do to get the glory he deserves. So obey me or else. And I believe that we can view Leviticus 20 in that way and get a lot more out of it than just, well, I never killed a kid from Molech. That's not where we should set the bar. All right? Let's pray. See what God has in store for us. And here we go. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for first getting the men back. Lord, certainly. Thank you for how you spoke to their heart while they were away. But as I said this morning, you let me stay here and prepare these messages, Lord, that um, you know, because you were there. Um, I'm going to hopefully make it sound like everything came together. And wow, did that take a while. Lord, you, you took me down many roads. You had me consider many things before I really felt like I understood what you wanted me to get from this morning on tonight, and now what I'm very honored to share with my brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, I can't assume there's no Edomites, but I'm going to. Lord, this morning you had me focus on the lost, and tonight, Lord, this message is for your children. You make that abundantly clear, um, and I just look forward to seeing how you use it in each of our hearts. Thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Let's look at the first few verses. Um, I'm not going to break the whole chapter down, but let's just look at the first few. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who give any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. This is the only time I'm going to do this. You can do this yourself later if you want to. But this reference to Molech was also in chapter 18. It was verse 21. And it said, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. That's it. So you, you see? You see what's happening? In chapter 18, just don't do it. In chapter 20, don't do it or else. And did anybody catch... The URS. Kind of a multi-staged question. But anybody, did you happen to catch what the or else for committing child sacrifice to Molech was? Okay. You would surely be put to death. Now, that phrase is going to come up again later. Just know. But thank you. I also heard some of you say they would be stoned. Yes? Can you just give it to me a little more specifically? It's okay if you don't know what I mean. It's about to come up on the board. Yeah. They would be stoned. By who? The community. Thank you. Chapter uh, verse two says, "Any uh, the people, yeah, right at the end, um, the people of the land shall stone him with stones." Okay. Now God then goes on to say, "And if they don't do it, I'll do it." But I'm doing it to their whole clan. He put it on everyone to have the responsibility to punish the person who was committing the sin. So the first point that I want to make here, and thank you that somebody already used uh, the word community, the first thing that God is demanding of us, not the people who commit you know, 
kill kids for more like us is to care for the community. Okay? Don't we see that here? That it's everyone's responsibility to do this. If they don't, God will, but then God's going to have to blow it up to the clan, which really should have been the first ones to stop him. Agreed? So the or else for the child sacrifice is death by stoning. To me, the or else for caring for the community is that the land might vomit you out. That God might deprive you of blessings that he wanted to give you, but couldn't give you because you did not show the proper care for the community. Now, we say community, we think society, we think what's around us, and that's wonderful. We live in a country where we actually can have a say in community affairs. We can elect people with our values. Ideally, we can elect Christians. We can try to overturn things like abortion. That would be great when you can do that, but that is not what this passage is talking about. Please know that. Nowhere, anywhere here, throughout the entire chapter, does God say, and stop those foreign nations from child sacrifice, sorcery, cursing parents. Not once, not once does he even hint that he wants the Israelites to go out and stop them from doing it. He says, no, you don't do it. When I say care for the community, I mean the people of God. I mean that we have a responsibility on us to care for the people of God, not just because that's such a nice thing to do and such a merciful thing to know. It's an expectation. God demands it of us or else. Again, what's the or else? Or we have no right to ask for his blessings or to think that we can keep the blessings that he's already given us. If we do not care for the community, and I think we can all agree, things fall apart real fast. Okay, so obviously the first verse that pops into my mind, I don't feel like it's the most fitting here, but I will never pass up an opportunity to mention it. Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I have to put that up there. Because so many people think it's the opposite. So many people take their fellow brothers, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ for granted. Oh, I know they're saved. We have to get out there and... No. I know I'm beating the same drum I always beat, but that's why they beat. That's why it's important. That's why we had a Sunday school called inReach. Because if you're not inReaching, what good is the outreach? God says place a priority on your community. This verse says to do good. Again, what was mercy from this morning? Mercy was simply helping someone if you're able to. Doing good. He wants us to do that, but obviously the bar is set much higher here in Leviticus 20. It's not just be nice to people, right? God is saying, I don't want these things to exist among you. So the verse that I'd kind of like to break down for you is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Okay, I don't want to go fast here. I don't think this will be that long, but I can't care. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. In case you're wondering, it was written to the people in Thessalonica. Paul wrote to them because they were somewhat new believers. And this is the encouragement he has for them. He said, we urge you, brothers. Not we urge you, elders. Not we urge you, shepherds. We urge you, brothers. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. All four of those fall under the category of caring for the community. We're just going to break them down real quick. Okay? When it says, admonish the idle, I'll be honest, at first I thought the, the lazy. Isn't that what it sounds like? Kind of get on them. Come on, buddy. 
Come on, get up, do something. And there is some truth there, right? What is it, idle hands or the devil's playground, right? If we have no sense of purpose, we're going to be out there doing... There's truth to that, but that's not this. The better word for idle is unruly. It's actually a word, if I could just find where I wrote it. It's a word, it's a military word that stands for being out of order. That if you were in the military and you're supposed to be in a certain spot and someone's just kind of doing what they're doing. I've never been in the military, but I know well enough they don't stand for that. Because as soon as you let one thing start to slide, well now all of a sudden that thing isn't so bad. So how about this? Well, if that's not so bad, then how about this? And next thing you know, the things that you're accepting are a mile away from the bar you used to set. But somebody got a little unruly and you didn't say anything. And somebody got a little out of order, but you know, you wanted to show grace. And somebody wanted to, and next thing you know, you're not showing care for the community. Again, I'm going to keep saying community, and, and it's true for society, but we're talking about the church. We have got to hold each other to a standard that when people get out of line, we lovingly get them back in. We don't just assume it's going to be okay. I mean, come on, are we that dense? Look at the world around you. Look at the churches around you. This didn't happen overnight. It happened because we didn't admonish the idol. We said, well, you know, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that in church, but not a big deal. Well, you know, I mean, we never used to do that in church, but you know, times are changing. And Look, admonish the idol. If you don't, how, where else do you think that's going to go but destroy the community? Encourage the faithful. It's exactly what it sounds like. The weak. The timid. If we are not encouraging the faint-hearted, guess who's going to encourage them? The world will. The world's very good at encouraging people. Yeah, there's a list a mile long of self-help books and motivational speakers and all of these things. And they have absolutely nothing to do with God. But where else do you want people to turn? If we are not going to encourage the faint-hearted, I don't know, read your own Bible. Look, maybe they will. Amen. The Holy Spirit works. In, in, in this. But come on. If they're faint-hearted, they need help somewhere. They need encouragement somewhere. Like this morning, mercy, if it's not coming from us, then where are they going to find it? You're not caring for the community. Help the weak. Exactly what it sounds like. Right? Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you care, keep oneself unspotted from the world, that you care for widows and orphans. Okay, we need to care for the weak. We need to be there. They need to see the love of Christ, even within the body. How sad the body feels that the body isn't there to help when they can. I'm thankful for government programs and stuff. I mean, they, they have their place, but if we can help somebody, help them. That's caring for the community. And then I just love, he says, and be patient with all of them. <laughs> I love Paul. Well, Paul's real. Paul had a little of a time in him. He had to have. He's like, listen, do all these things, and I know it's not going to be easy, but deal with it. Deal with it, because you have to care for the community. I need you. you God, again, going back to Leviticus, it's not just about the people who are child sacrificing and this and that. In fact, I think the next slide is that list again, right? If I don't have myself out of place, right? It's not just don't do this, 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 but come alongside each other so that it never gets to this, 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 this. Agreed? Who was supposed to stone the Molech worshippers? The people, yes? Who was supposed to, um, did you notice in all the, well, let, let, let's go through them. The sorcery and the cursing parents, those kind of go together. The cursing parents isn't just that you get, have an attitude with your parent. Right? None of us would have survived if you got killed or if you cursed your parents. 
that literally was like casting a curse on your parents. That those kids through some sort of sorcery, some sort of other God, were pronouncing curses on their parents. I mean, of course that's not good for society. Agreed? But surely put to death. I'm not going to read them all again. Did you hear how often, and if you sleep with your father's wife, you'll surely be put to death. And if you go to this one, you'll surely be put to death. Did you hear all of those? Well, I'm going to be honest. They barely ever happened, the putting to death part, because it needed to be done before two or three witnesses. Right? We know that. And guess where those intimate occasions usually occur? In front of two or three witnesses. So it's not like everybody was getting killed left and right for committing these sins. A lot of people probably got away with it. But when two or three witnesses knew about it, those two or three witnesses were expected to step up and say, this doesn't happen. Again, it might happen there, it might happen there. It doesn't happen here. And that's so important to understand because they didn't want you thinking, wow, God must have been like shooting fish in a barrel. No, no, Israel screwed up on a lot of this, but a lot of it was, and if you see it, if you witness it, well, now it's on you. But I didn't do it, Lord. It's not my fault. I'm not the one. Yeah, but you've got to play a role in caring for the community, or else, again, if I can fast forward however many thousands of years, BBC might get vomited out. Are we really that stupid to think, oh, that's never going to happen here? What, are you kidding me? See the leadership we got? You see the congregation we got? You ever hear of a church full of Ephesus? When God said, hey, guys, awesome job, but you kind of left your first love, and uh, if you don't stop, I'm going to take out your lampstand. And guess what? We did about 40 years Ephesus. But I'm not trying to shock value scare anyone. I certainly hope and expect that that doesn't happen here. But listen, if I got to tackle a little or else... If I can't just say care for your community and move to my next point, if I have to say care for my community or else, I'm going to say it. I want us to know that God is not playing games here. God is serious about these sins, but also about his children never getting anywhere near there because the ones who know better, the ones who are rooted in him, the ones who come to night service, I mean, a little bit, right? We, we, we want to get this stuff down. We want to, well, then we need to care for our community. Yes, the elders, first and foremost, but brothers. That's what the verse said. Okay, so that's number one. The number one thing that we can take from that, other than don't do them, duh, is let's care for the community so that nobody does. So that we never get to the point where any of that seems acceptable, or any of that gets, we know about it, but we sweep it under the rug because it's a little awkward. No. Do what you got to do to care for the community. But I'm going to leave that slide up there and kind of put a little different twist on it. Zoom in a little bit. Remember I said community could be the whole society, but it's actually the church body. Well, I'm, I'm about to shrink that up a little bit. And look at every one of those from the position of family. Okay? If you look at child sacrifice from the position of family, of course, you're, you're killing someone in your family. The word child is actually the word descendant. So they don't know for sure that it was a little kid, that history seems to think it was, but it, regardless, you were like cutting off branches of your family tree and telling the next generation that that's what it takes to appease a God. How sad. Sorcery. What does that tell the next generation? Yes, in the community, but in your family. We can't trust God. Yeah, we know God has his plan, but I need to know what that is now. So I'm going to ask a necromancer. I'm going to ask a wizard. I'm going to ask a... It just, it, it sends... Sends the wrong message is like a horrible way to say it, but cursing parents, right? 
Yes, that makes society horrible, but ultimately it, it destroys the family. The family unit is so destroyed right now, partly because there's just no respect. Yes? But what I really want to focus in on is the next two. Improper relationships, there is some reference to homosexuality, there is some reference to bestiality, and yes, that affects the community, and I guess could affect the family. But adultery and incest. I'm going to try to go slow. I'm not going to read it all again. It was a lot. But didn't we have... I'm going to tell you, I counted 11 examples. There, depending how you break it up, there might be more, but... And if you uncover the nakedness of your father's wife, and if you uncover the nakedness of your sister's brother's uncle's mother, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot in chapter 18, and it was a lot in chapter 20. And when Lenny was done preaching, I went up to him and I said, you know, why does God give all those breakdowns? Because as soon as he says, do not commit adultery, guess what fits under there? Sleeping with your father's wife, sleeping with your son's wife, sleeping with your uncle's wife, sleeping... Who cares whose wife it is? Adultery is adultery, agreed? Why did God seem to need... Same thing with incest. He could have just said, listen, don't sleep with a close relative. Chapter 18 starts that way. Do not be intimate with a close relative. And then still went into, and make sure you're, you don't uncover the nakedness of your sister. Or this one. Or your mother's brother's... I don't get it. Your heads are probably spinning because I talk too fast. I'm sorry. but I don't, I don't get it. Like, all God had to say was, do not commit adultery, and by my count... Do not commit adultery or incest. Seven of those 11 examples could have been taken out right away. The others were, um, don't sleep with a woman when she has her menstrual period. Don't sleep with a sister and her mother. Don't sleep with an animal. And don't sleep with someone of the same sex. Those kind of get their own category. But for the most part, overwhelmingly, they were all either adultery, someone who's already married, or incest, someone that you're related to, and yet God still felt the need, 18 and 20, to say, and here's an example, here's an example, here's an example. I mean, was that not just a little awkward? Am I the only one that has difficulty reading through that? The only ones, oh my goodness, who were these people? That's disgusting. But I don't think the reason God said that was because it's disgusting. Like, God doesn't think the way we think. I think the reason God specifies it is because if someone is in your family, he is the one who has put them in that position. Do you understand? Nobody determined who my three sisters were going to be except for God. In a parallel universe, those girls could have been somewhere completely different and my wife could have been my sister and next thing you know, I'm not allowed to have the feelings that I have for her. Like, what in the world? It's not about how you feel. It's not about, oh, that's gross. It's about if God determines that he wants someone to play a certain role in your life, then that's the role they should play. And that's called family. Um, before I get to, to my point, specifically verse 17 says, if a man takes his sister ill, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, well, duh, isn't that his sister? <laughs> No, it's probably a stepsister. Lenny talked about this in chapter 18. And sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness. It is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. Oh, so even stepsister. Oh, all right, well. All right, stepsister isn't really adultery. It isn't adultery, and technically it's not incest. Well, all right, but look at chapter 18, verse 11. When God mentioned it in chapter 18, he said, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's 
daughter, stepsister, brought up in your father's family. I feel so bad because I've had so much time to think about this and I'm going to try to get you to understand in 30 seconds since she is your sister. In other words, if, let's say two Christians, because Christians want to do what are right. Agreed? This is what I asked Lenny. So if two Christians meet each other and they think they like each other and they start having a romance, but then next thing you know, their parents meet and their parents get married and oh no, now we're stepbrother, stepsister, we can't get married. Look, pastor said last week, if God says so, then that's what you do. If God really says, sorry, your stepbrother, stepsister, no, no, not according to this. It's not so much that it was your father's wife's daughter, but that she was brought up in your father's family. You should see her as your sister, even if technically she's not your sister. Am I making any sense at all? This isn't about God worried about the biology of it and your DNA is not going to mix right. No. God puts people in our life for a reason. I don't know why he made my father my father, but that's my father. Earthly, I mean. I don't know why he gave me the wife he did, but she's my wife. You understand? We don't always like the people in our family, but we have got to stop and recognize, my second point, is favor the family. I'm trying to stick with the alliteration. See? Right? Uh, I'm already forgetting it. Care for the community. Favor the family. And again, don't worry, John. I don't even think about having improper relationships. Come on. Can we raise the bar a little bit more? None of us here can say that we have the perfect family situation. We screw it up all the time. Just because we don't screw it up sexually the way this chapter is talking about doesn't mean we don't screw it up. So can we please spend a little bit of time, since there's an or else attached to that, favor the family or else, can we spend a little bit of time just reminding ourselves how God defines the roles of a family? It's not difficult. We just make it difficult. And then we wonder why we suffer the or else. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 6. We won't do this too long, but I think we have the time. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Kids, close your Bibles. Chapter's done. There's nothing else to see here. We act that way. Right? See, it's the kids' fault. Stupid kid would just obey me. I mean, God says it right there. Things will go well and we'll live long in the land. Man, just honor your father and mother. And for some reason, we don't have the endurance to read one more verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I don't think I'm going to start crying, but I'm telling you on the inside, I'm very emotional right now. Men, we screw up so stinking bad. We are so good at making sure that our families know who's in charge. We are so good at making sure that they know, because I said so, and I'm your father, and... Oh my goodness, can you read? Yes, our kids are called to obey us. They're commanded to obey us. But we're commanded to not provoke them to have reasons to not obey us. I know they're not going to be perfect. They're kids. We were too. But oh my goodness, do we have to make it so difficult on them? I'm yelling at myself. Not just you, but I think many of us can relate to this. It's so easy to be in the first three verses because that points the finger at them. We just don't want to point the finger at us. And kids, you don't get to point the finger at us because the first thing God says is obey them. He doesn't say obey them if they're being nice to you. He says obey them. He says honor them. He says that that will bring, sorry, it'll go well with you. And 
You better believe it. When the kids are obeying, things are going well. But parents, not just fathers, mothers too, can we just make sure we're doing our part? Just, just try, because it's hard at the end of a long day. It is easier to just say, because I say so. But can I tell you, that is such a cop-out reason 90% of the time. Because I say so is code for, I don't feel like explaining it to you. In fact, it's kind of code for, you know, something you might be right, but I don't care, I'm telling you to do it, do it. And it, it just, it turns my stomach, because I don't even think we mean it. But it's so easy to fall into that, and now we point fingers at Israel. Ew, you sleep with your father's wife. Well, guess what? I'm going to point a finger at me and say, oh, you treat your kids that way just because you had a bad day? That is not what God wants. He, wants. he gave us these children for a reason. We need to value that. We need to favor that. And we need to play the role that God has given us to play. So that's kids to parents. Agreed? Fathers and mothers. Agreed? You know where we're going now. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Got that, ladies? Do it! I mean, come on, God committed three verses to it. It must be important, right? Fine, I'll keep reading. All right, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we do get a little something in there about the wife again. But just, I'm curious. Why do the ladies get three verses and we get eight? Maybe because we're too thick-headed to get it in three verses. Or maybe it's because, gentlemen, I'm sorry, but it all hinges on us. If we do our job, it makes our kids' jobs easier. It makes our wives' jobs easier. Ladies, don't use this the wrong way. Use it for God's glory. But I'm about to tell you a great thing to have in your pocket. Got it? When the children are told to obey the parents, that is an imperative verb. It means it's command. When the, parent, when the kids are told to honor them, imperative. When the fathers are told to not provoke, imperative. When the husbands are told to love, imperative. When the women are told to submit, not imperative. Isn't that interesting? It's not a command. It's a participle, which I think we're getting better at. We mention that a lot. It's a verb that should describe you. Personally, I think that's because God knows that you women cannot constantly submit to us because we screwed things up. We put you in positions where you would have to choose between what God wants and what we say, and in those, you, you can't submit. But you should be someone who's described as a submissive wife. Someone who, as long as it doesn't go against what God's word says, if it goes, well, I would do things differently, I'm sorry, submit. Well, if I was in charge, I'm sorry. God has you in this position. He puts the responsibility on us. 
We are commanded to love. And the bar said, I love the way Christ loves the church. You guys are just asked to submit, to be described. To not be described as someone who's, oh, geez. <laughs> Have you ever heard the phrase high maintenance before? That, none of us should be described that way. But you see what I'm saying? We all have a role to play. And it's so sad because if one person doesn't play their role, it makes it so much harder for everyone else to. If the father is provoking the children, then it's hard for them to obey. If the wife isn't submitting to the husband, then it's hard for the husband to love the wife. It doesn't mean you don't do it. But it's kind of hard because it means we need everybody playing their role. And I feel bad because I know that I'm talking to people in here. I know that some of you are thinking, oh, geez, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, John. I'm not saying I have it down, but I have it down on paper. You've heard that phrase before, right? God's given us the blueprint. We just got to strive for it. And if you're saying you're right, John, you know, that you're, you're describing the, the, the dysfunction of my family. No, what I think I'm describing is the or else. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not trying to rub it in at all, but like I said this morning, if God gives us another day on this earth, it's one more day that we can work on it. One more day that we can favor the family. That we can look at the people in our life, not just in a non-sexual way, hopefully that bar is way, then doesn't even enter the equation, but in a way that says, you know something, you are my kid. You are my, I, I'm a steward. God, God gave you to me. You're my responsibility. You're not my headache. I may call you that, but in the end, God gave you know something. God gave me this wife. You know something. God gave me this husband. Um, I don't know. I told my wife I was going to say this. I don't know if it makes any sense, but I guess because of this sermon, we started talking, and I said, you know, this ring on the finger technically means that I can say that she's mine. Technically, and she can say that I'm hers because of this ring on the finger. But really, those words mean nothing. If I say she's mine and she goes off and cheats on me, then what work? The only thing this really lets me say with any type of confidence is I'm yours. That's it. That I'm going to do my part to favor the family, to try to be the best father I can. Even if I wasn't in the past, I'm going to try. Because God says do it or else. Or else what? Or else you might be vomiting out. Yeah, John, you're right. Sometimes my family feels like we're vomiting things. Okay. He gives us another day to work on it. But all I can say is I'm yours. All she can say is, you're mine. I can't really force my kids to obey, especially the older they get. They have to decide that they want to. But I'm just saying, instead of throwing your hands up and saying, oh, this family's a problem because of you, you, you. No, to be honest, it's a problem because of all of us. Okay, just because we don't have the issues that God talked about in here does not mean we don't have issues. And I hope that we all just, if we're already doing a good job, then just keep doing a good job. But just, Lord, how can I play my role better? Why? You gave me these kids. How can I raise them better. You gave me this wife. How can I love her better? You gave me this husband. How can I submit better? That's what God wants. If we can strive to not just care for the community, but favor the family, which helps the community, agreed? We will more and more be growing into who God wants us to be and less and less have to worry about the or else. I really hope I didn't, whatever, the Holy Spirit does it, I know. But I know this is touching for people, but I mean it in an encouraging way. We're not Edomites. We're God's children. But there are or else's to decisions we make. And all we can do is say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I'm going to do everything I can to pick it up from here. And through his grace, uh, he'll do what only he can do. All right, the last point. So I'm doing good. Verse 22. 
You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. We already read that. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit the land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make for yourselves detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. I guess I forgot to put that in. I so much apologize. I thought that I did. But point is, those of you who are looking in your Bible, there is one more verse that talks about putting necromancers to death. I'm sorry. I feel like I somewhat already covered that. But this ending, I made a mistake with a slide this morning as well. But this ending, I'm going to say, with my alliteration, strive for sanctification or else. Now again, sanctification is a fancy word. Wow, I'm really behind. I hope I can screw this up. All right. It is what it is. Anyway, just listen to me. All right? It's one thing to not be like the world, but it's another to strive to be more like Christ. And that's what this is saying. It's not just saying don't do. Remember the don't do's? There are also a bunch of do's in here. So the three things that, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but that's okay. Just listen to me. The three things that we have in here is first in verse 23, don't walk in their customs. Okay? Don't walk in their customs. That's what Lenny had talked a lot about, you know, how God was saying, everyone around you is doing this, don't do it. Now, he's not saying don't do it because they are. He's saying don't do it because it's wrong. But because you're surrounded by it, doesn't wrong seem right real quick when everybody's doing it? So he's saying don't walk in their customs. The verse that came to mind was Joshua 24, 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that's a popular verse, but I couldn't help but think how it kind of ties in with this morning. If you were here this morning, I challenged everyone to decide right now, are you an Edomite or not? I hope your answer is no. But that question was geared more towards the unbeliever to hopefully let God speak to their heart, to go from being God's enemy to being God's child. This is written to God's children. How sad is that? How sad that God's children are being told that they have to decide if they're going to serve the God, the gods their father served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, or if they're going to serve the real God. If you know anything about Israel, what was their answer? I don't mean here. I mean throughout history. Their answer was all of the above. They never actually stopped serving God, but you better believe they also wanted to serve this one and that one and the other one. And No. Joshua is saying, listen, decide. Decide what you're going to do. He doesn't pick random gods. He says the ones your father served, or the ones from the Amorites, the ones around you, the ones you're used to. And God says, no. Strive for sanctification. That word means to be separated. It means to, I don't want to say because it's another one of my bullets, but strive to separate yourself. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is a lot better answer than, fine, I won't kill my kids for Molech. 
No, there's a world of difference between those. And are you going to set the bar here, or are you going to set the bar at Christ? So that's the first challenge. The second one is obeying his commandments, because he says to separate the clean from the unclean, the beast and the bird, and things that, let's be honest, we don't understand all that much. The point is, like Pastor said last week, if God says it, do it. In the end, it really isn't about what you're not doing. That's great if you're not doing those things, but maybe you never really felt like doing them anyway. Are you doing the things God tells you to do? And the verse I have with it is Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. I love verses like this because you need absolutely no context. I've learned to call these mic drop verses. You do not need to know what Peter was talking about here because it doesn't matter. There is no circumstance where this wouldn't be true. There is no situation where you would have to trust, but no, it doesn't matter. We must obey God rather than men. And if that means doing things that we'd rather not do, you do them. And if that means not giving your kids something even though you love them and you want them to be happy, but you know God's telling you not to, then you don't do it. We must obey God rather than men. So we have don't walk in their customs, obey his commands, and then lastly, be holy. That's what he says in verse 26. He says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. The verse I picked was Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I have heard this quoted so many times as we need to be holy so that the world can see him. And there's truth there, right? Aren't we his light? Aren't we his salt? Aren't we the ones up on a hill? Aren't we his ambassadors? That's true. If we're not being holy, people aren't going to see God in us. Yes? But Franz, do me a favor. I'm putting you on the spot here. Without which, who will see the Lord? No one. Guess who you're a part of? And I don't word that very well at all. Because you're a part of no one, which I guess doesn't make sense. But you get it? It's not just if I'm not being holy, you guys won't see the Lord. I won't either. And that might be the worst or else there is. The worst or else for the world is an eternity in hell without Christ. I get it. But maybe the worst or else for me isn't that I have a bad relationship with my kids or that I don't care for my community. It's that I can't see God. I'm his child and I'm living a life where I can't see him. How sad. And imagine being the, even on earth, the child of a king and just not knowing you're a child of a king and, and living your life as if you're some Joe Schmo on the street. Oh my goodness, we are children of the king. But we're not going to see him if we don't strive to be like him. If we don't strive to not act like Edomites to tie it in this morning. So that's what God gave me. Okay, I hope we don't need or else's. But please know they're there. Care for the community or else the little things are going to become big things and you're going to have a mess on your hands. Favor the family. Or else... They're just not going to serve the role that God wanted them to serve. Only he knows why he gave you who he gave you. And I get it. Not every relationship's good, but everyone can be tried to use for his honor and glory. And strive for sanctification. Don't just not be like an Edomite. Be like God's child. Be proud of that. Let everyone know that you're a child of God. And that is a badge of honor that you will gladly uh, wear to the grave and beyond. 
All right, well, that's how Leviticus 20 spoke to me after a whole lot of studying it. But ultimately, that's how God spoke to my heart. I hope he spoke to yours. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. I, I will always thank you for your spirit, because not only does he put the thoughts in my mind and have the words come out of my mouth, but he determines what everyone here heard. He determines what pierced their heart. He determines what will stay on their mind, Lord. Not because I said it, but because your spirit said it. Um, and again, Lord, thank you that I can look at a chapter that really, on the surface, has nothing to do with me. And then I find out it has everything to do with me. I thank you that you've put me in a position that I can care for my community, for my fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, I know we're all called to do it, but you put me somewhere where I and the other leaders can uniquely do it and do it correctly. Lord, if we lean on your spirit and, and, and listen to what he says. I thank you for my family, Lord. I do want to favor them. I want to be the husband and father that you called me to be. And, and I know, I know how hard that is. And I know people in here struggle with it. But Lord, again, Lord, or else isn't even really a punishment from you. Is It's just a, a consequence of us not valuing the family that you call us to do. I know the world around us doesn't, but you called us to. And Lord, don't ever let us set our bar at the world. And if we're better than them and we're good enough, you tell us to strive for sanctification. I want to, but Sunday becomes Saturday real quick, and I don't know if I always give it the emphasis that it deserves. So I thank you for the people you've put around me. Lord, challenge me and sharpen me to strive for sanctification. And of course, I thank you for the Spirit that I know is constantly working on my heart. I just got to make sure I'm listening. I'm going to pray a special blessing on each person in here, whether that be comfort, whether that be conviction, whether that be peace, joy, Lord, whatever. Whatever it is your children need, I know you provide it. You are our loving Father, and I just thank you that your word throughout today, morning, Sunday, school, night, uh, was preached for your glory, and that I know you're going to use it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and we're going to close on a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.